A child's question asked of me. If I can't see it, can it be? I see my toy, I know it's there. I feel my arm, I touch my hair. These are things I know to be, but are there things I cannot see? What of the wind, where does it go? Are there other things to know? Oh yes, my dear, and soon you'll find they're locked inside your heart and mind. Sweet love's desire, a mother's prayer, more real than all we see out there, more real than sun and moon and rain. At first, much harder to explain. The only thing that I can say, I, I say it now in just this way. What is real and what is not? Love is real. The rest is not. I somehow always knew it was true. And then there it was. Right there this weekend in the Wall Street Journal, it was true. They did a study and they found out it was true. And I knew it always in my heart that it was true. It had to be true. In this weekend's edition of the Wall Street Journal Review, on page C4, there it was, biggest life to read. According to a new study, for maximum marital happiness, a husband's body mass index ought to be greater than his wife's. <laughs> I win! I should get the sandwich maker. I win. What I really am saying is not that I want a sandwich maker. I'm saying I want maximal marital happiness. That's what I'm really saying. How do you figure out life? How do you figure out your life in relationships? Time Magazine back on November the 29th announced it this way. Who needs marriage? Who needs marriage? And it was a fascinating article based on a, a big study that was done by the Pew Research Center. For me as a pastor and educator, the most interesting quote in the article was this, and it came on the last page. The basis of marriage changed in the last century, but very few couples have had a chance to learn really what are the new rules of love and intimacy. Not because the rules are so difficult to learn, just because no one told them. Marriage is like glue. You can build something with it. Living together is like Velcro. The commitment of marriage gives people the opportunity to grow and thrive in ways that other relationships do not. The question for today is simply this. How do you get there? How do you get there? If there's anything that we can agree on when it comes to men and women, it's that we disagree on lots of stuff. It's not so much that we disagree really as it is that we have differing expectations and speak different languages. Yesterday morning, I had this conversation with Gail. I'm taking the dogs with me. I'm going into the church. I'll take them upstairs. They'll be with me in my office. I have to work on a memorial service. When I go to leave for the memorial service, I will take the dogs. I will put them in your office so they'll be there when you arrive. Up to that point, I was doing really well with communication. I was clear. It was simple. I was, I was right on target, and I knew it, and I felt really good. And then she said, well, you know, there's a, there's a men's breakfast in the atrium. And I said, I know, and I will swing through and wave. And she said, oh no, you can't do that. You have to go in and you have to talk to somebody. You have to tell them that you have a memorial service and that's why you can't be with them. You have to explain that to several people. You have to spend time with them there before you go upstairs. And I said, that's what I said. And she said, no, you said 
you were going to wave. And I said, that's what wave means. <laughs> you see, as men, we don't have to do all that other stuff. We don't have to be like relational and get into it. When, when I walk in there and everybody's in football jerseys and baseball hats and I'm in a suit and tie all dressed up, they know I'm going to do some kind of a pastoral ministry thing. And, and we, don't, we even eat, haven't had any coffee yet and we haven't eaten and so we really don't want to talk to each other. Anyway, I actually went up to somebody who was getting coffee and I said hi and he didn't even say hi to me. <laughs> so really, when I do this, Everybody knows what it means if you're a guy. It's just, it communicates volumes. That's why guys just, you, you, know, you see a guy, you just go, that's it, it's done, we're done. But we always get mixed up in communication because the way we communicate is different. Let's take a look at how marketing to men and women caters to these different expectations. Let's look at this magazine cover for a woman. Now here she is. 25 romantic dream trips. He's dreaming about a romantic dream trip. But just look beyond the picture. She's in Paris. She is on a dream trip. While she's on a dream trip, she is thinking about another dream trip. This is a problem. It's a problem. Why don't you enjoy the dream trip while we're on the dream trip? Thinking about another dream trip. Can't hardly, didn't pay for this dream trip yet. Gotta be going on another dream trip. And here's marketing to men. 25 coolest athletes of all time. This is what we want to think about. Who are the coolest athletes of all time? So if we get stuck in societal stereotypes, we're always going to miss love at last sight. Piers Morgan was interviewing Condoleezza Rice, who isn't married, has never been married, and doesn't think she necessarily needs to be married and he was asking her what she likes to do and I was watching this the other night and so what do you what do you like to do and she said well I like to cook I like to cook all kinds of things I make some great fried chicken I love to make great fried chicken and I like to watch football and he said well you like to, to watch a game on Saturday and she said no I like to, to watch football all day long I watch game after game after game and he looked at her Piers Morgan looked at her right in the eye and he said you're the perfect woman you're the perfect woman. You like to cook fried chicken and watch football all day. But let's get beyond the stereotypical male-female debate issues. Let's get beyond the rhetoric and the jaded views of marriage and relationships and get to the heart of it's complicated with love at last sight. Let's go back thousands of years to hear what one of the wisest men who ever lived wrote about life and relationships. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. In other words, I was still thinking, I was still trying to figure out logically what is life about? What is my life about? And I'm trying to laugh and I'm trying to have fun. And I'm trying to play games. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. Can I figure this thing out? Let me try. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. 
I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I never had to lift a finger to do anything. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Now, modern times we would say, I had garage after garage and car after car and motorcycle after motorcycle. I could go anywhere and do anything anytime I wanted to. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I'm trying to figure this thing out. What is life? How does it work? What are relationships all about? I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. Whatever I got, I got. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And all these doings and all these havings, I was still empty inside. And then he writes two chapters later, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. So he goes from doings and, and havings to some kind of a, of a relationship, maybe in, in a relationship where two come together, it's going to be real and good. I'm going to finally understand life and who I am. But he has one more thought, one more thought. Last year at the Golden Globes, Sandra Bullock won the award for Best Actress. And she had hopefully you know, been hopeful about that for, for years. She had a, a long-standing career in motion pictures, but that, that final pinnacle of success had somehow eluded her. And for Blindside, she won. And in her speech, she said something that melted my heart as I watched and, and started to bring tears to people's eyes and melted hearts all across America. And this is what she said. And a golden globe goes to... Thunder Bullock, blindside. My agents, Kevin Eubane, Bess Wofford. I don't know if you guys have heard of CAA, but they're a little agency that I think represent pretty much everybody. Um, Cheryl Maisel, a sweet, kind, unbelievably hardworking woman who's a publicist and to my husband there's no there's no um, surprise that my work got better when I met you because I never knew what it felt like for someone to have my back so thank you 
Those words melted the room. I never knew what it felt like for someone to have my back. I never knew what it was like to be two and to be there for each other. I never knew what this was supposed to be all about. And then the woman who won for blindside was blindsided. And the relationship tanked. It went down in, in just a flurry of tabloid stuff and, and it, it just went down and suddenly she found herself having to, to pick herself back up and, and go on with life in a way that she never imagined because nobody had her back really. And that's why Solomon wrote this last thought. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And what that means is that everything that we're talking about is, is, is not based upon human wisdom. It's not based upon me. You know, somehow I have it within myself to grow and be better. It's based upon the very Holy Spirit of God being at work in you and through you so that when you are in relational stuff, God's grace is infusing you with a motivation and a will to grow and to grow up that you can never have on your own. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 5.33. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. He knew he was getting at the heart of it's complicated. So how? Do you get there? The only thing that I can say, I say it now in just this way, what is real and what is not? Love is real. The rest is not. This is a great book. It's a surprisingly great book. It's a very simple book. It's very easy to read. Um, but the, the insights are brilliant. The insights are dead on right there for, for you to pull right into your heart and soul and mind and, and begin to affect change. Uh, it's written in short chapters. It's written so that you can read one chapter a day and begin to understand moment by moment and day by day how you can have a love at last sight relationship in all of your key relationships. Carrie and Chris Shook write this. Your closest relationships will naturally drift apart over time. And chances are right now, one or more of your most important relationships is less than what you wish it could be. The book is a 30-day program for growing and deepening your closest relationships, and it's divided into four sections. The art of being all there. The art of acting intentionally. The art of of risking awkwardness and the art of letting go. In the first paragraph of the introduction, they announced that they are frequently insensitive, grumpy, and just plain selfish. That's when I knew it was the right book for you. <laughs> and me. Uh, let me encourage you to work through the book and be ready for part two of Love at Last Sight on February the 20th. Here are the big ideas to help you weave a cord of three strands for your life and relationship. We'll start with three big questions. First, is this 
relationship worth sticking with. This is the cut my losses and move on decision. It's a time to cut my losses and move on. Is this relationship worth sticking with? Second, is there a way for this relationship to get better? This is the take a personal inventory and risk change decision. That's a lot of what we're doing this morning. And then finally, is God doing something in my life and I'm missing it? This is the embracing holy interruptions decision. We'll talk about holy interruptions in just a little bit. Let me tell you what will change any relationship, any time. It's just right there. And the power to change is just enormous. It's the art of being all there. The art of being all there. This is one of the biggest struggles busy 21st century people have. We're always off to the next event. We're always on to the next thing. When you're all there, however, you'll still feel attention to be doing something else when you're all there. Something will pop into your mind to take you away. One of the hardest jobs in life is being all there. It can really hurt to be all there. It takes a discipline to be all there. But when you're all there, there is nothing quite like it. I entered the all there zone last Monday. Let me tell you about it. Gail and I went to Williamsburg to babysit our grandchildren, Sophia and Olivia. Sophia is four, Olivia is two, and they're at that that cute stage where they they play all the time and they want to have fun all the time. And and we went up there so Travis and Nina could go out to dinner and kind of talk to each other and, and do some love at last sight kind of relating to each other. And so here we are, and, and, and I knew it wasn't going to be my usual uh, day. When we got there, uh, a video was on, and Sophia was enthralled with the video. It was a video about how to use the potty, and it was, it was long, and there were songs, and people were jumping up and down and being real excited about it, and there was, everybody uses the potty, everybody uses the potty, everybody uses, so I'm singing this song, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm a professional person. You know, I have a real job, Sophia. You know, I have to talk to people on Sunday. I can't be singing the potty song. She said, Grandpa, this is my favorite video. It's my favorite. It's so fun. It's so fun. So we finished doing the potty thing. And then she says, will you play a game with me, Grandpa? I said, sure, I'll play a game with you. So she takes me into her bedroom. She stands on her bed. And she points up to the closet. And the very top shelf on the very top of a pile of games. And the very, very top is a game. And she says, that's it, Grandpa, that's it. And I reach up and I grab this game and I pull it down. And it's the princess game. And so we play that game. Sure, I'll play that game. I have no idea what this game is about. So, you know, I'm thinking shoots and ladders, you know, stuff, monopoly, money, you know. So we sit down. And she lays it all out, and that's when I first got worried, because all of a sudden I saw in the game box, there was a stack of plastic tiaras, all different colors. And she said, Grandpa, will you be Snow White? <laughs> okay, I'll be, I'll be Snow White. I took a look around. Okay, I'll be, I'll be Snow White. She said, here's your tiara. So I put the tiara on. And I'm sitting there, and then we're playing, we're throwing the dice, and we're playing the games, you know, and the potty song's running through my head, and I realize I'm in a very different world here, and I'm sort of, I'm Snow White, and I'm winning, and I like winning, you know, and then my tiara falls off, and then I get mad because my tiara falls off, I put my tiara back on. If I'm going to wear a tiara, it's going to be done, right? And she says, Grandpa, will you sing me a song? 
I'm thinking, what are you saying, little kid? So I, I go through my memory banks, and I remember watching Shirley Temple when I was a kid, and all of a sudden it pops into my mind, animal crackers in my soup. So I say, animal crackers in my soup, monkeys and lions, loop-de-loop. And all of a sudden I realize I am all in. And all of a sudden I realize in my tiara as Snow White, with animal crackers in my soup, having just watched the potty movie, I'm having more fun than I have most days in the office. <laughs> I'm having a ball. And then I think, you know what? I bet I have my iPad. I bet I can pull up Shirley Temple on the iPad and I can show Sophia a little part of my childhood. So it's time for the bath time. So they, they get in the bathtub and they're sloshing around and there's like this gigantic rubber duck that takes up the whole tub and they're in there and I, and I pull up Shirley Temple. So now I'm leaning into the bathtub and I got Shirley Temple singing animal crackers in my soup and, and, and I am all in, I am all there. To be all there is awesome. To be all there takes you out of all the stuff of your life and you are looking into somebody's eyes and, and you're really seeing them and they are really seeing you. It's funny that when they talk to Jesus about power, when they talk to Jesus about political power and authority, you know what he said? He said, how about we sing animal crackers in my soup? How about, we, how about you be Snow White, Peter, and I'll be Ariel, and we get Matthew to play something, and all the disciples are looking, and you got this little kid, and he said, you know, really, it's much better to be like this kid. This kid knows a lot more about being all there than any of you. We need to be all there in our marriages. Our spouses need us to be all there. Your kids need you to be all there. Your team, whether that's a team at work or whether that's a team in school or a team, a ministry team, they need you to be all there. Your real friends need you to be all there. Not being all there is the easiest sin to commit. It's the easiest sin to commit. It's a sin that I struggle with all the time. I want to be all there more to live a love at last sight life, you have to be all there. So here's what I want you to do. This week, I want you to ask the key person in your life if you're all there. Am I all there for you is all you're going to say. Am I all there for you? Do you feel that I am all there? And if you get a yes, go out and celebrate. Or order a pizza and celebrate. Or watch the potty movie. I don't really care what you do. Do whatever you do to celebrate all theirness. If you get a no, start a conversation that lasts for days, maybe weeks, about how that can change. It will be the greatest gift you give to someone just to be all there with them. Being all there is God's idea. It's always been God's idea of a great gift. The Shooks have in their book the, the theme of their family life. Wherever you are, be all there. And being all there goes for being all there in conflict too. It's not just when you're having fun. The chapter on conflict, staying at the table, is worth the price of the book 
if you'll put it into practice. The Shook's right. Our culture says that conflict makes relationships too hard. That's when there's a problem or disagreement. That when there's a problem or disagreement, it means the relationship wasn't meant to be, that you just weren't right for each other, and that it's time to move on. Love at last sight says that conflict is a sign that a relationship is real. Here's a great thought from the book. There are always two choices. One is easy, and it's only reward is that it's easy. The next big love at last sight change move will take you into the art of acting intentionally. Seems simple, seems real simple, but it's not. The truth is that meaningful relationships take time, hard work, creativity, and most of all, the art of acting intentionally. In fact, I would say that because rewarding relationships don't happen by accident, intentionality is even more important than chemistry. We started practicing the art of acting intentionally in our closest relationships several years ago, and it has had an amazing life-altering impact on our family. Early in our marriage, we usually had good intentions, but we were never very intentional. See, a big difference between having good intentions and being intentional. That is, we meant well, but we weren't focusing on our dance with each other. Failing to act intentionally slowly began to steal the passion in our marriage and the joy in our family. Our lives had become overcrowded and cluttered with things that felt urgent, but we were failing to be purposeful about what matters most. We found ourselves trying to please everyone and it diverted our energy and commitment from the people we love the most. Maybe you've experienced the same thing. You've run yourself ragged to please or impress people you don't even like while the people you love slowly starve from your lack of attention? The answer is simple. We were never meant to deeply connect with every person who wanders into our lives. Be kind to everyone? Absolutely. Constantly juggle scores of close relationships? No way. Even Jesus, although he preached and ministered to crowds, chose only 12 disciples to pour his life into. The God who created us also created boundaries for our lives. Each day, we're given a limited number of hours and finite amount of energy. If you really want to experience love at last sight, you need to come to terms with that fact and spend your time, energy, and effort wisely. That's the only way you can learn what real love is all about, the kind of outrageous love that will say no to a teenage daughter when saying yes would be less hassle, the kind of love that will choose a sleepless night rather than a warm bed in order to resolve an argument with a spouse. So here's the checklist for craziness in your life. Check as many as is necessary. I have, I have good intentions, but I'm not intentional these days. I mean well, but I'm really not living that out. My life feels overcrowded and cluttered with urgency. The next thing, the next project, the next to-do list thing, get it out of the way. My life is overcrowded and cluttered with urgency. I try to please everyone and run out of gas for people I need to be intentional with. And finally, I feel ragged around the edges and relationally starved. A pastor friend of mine a long time ago told me a story about a woman who called him, and, and he was he was fried. He had done so much for so long, and he was trying to figure out what he needed to really do to get a grip on this intentionality thing. And, and this woman said, I have to see you. And he said, I cannot 
see you. And she said, I have to see you. He said, it's not going to happen. And she said, I must see you. It's imperative. If I don't see you, I'm going to jump out of this window. And he said, if I see you, I am going to jump out of this window. And he began to understand that there was a place to say no, and there was a place to get a hold of his life again. And that's what intentionality does. It gives you a chance to get a hold of your life again. Here's the big intentional idea that will really change your life. Have a vision statement for each key relationship. I never thought about that before. I thought about vision statements for ministry and vision statements for organizations and for the church, but have a vision statement for each key relationship ever crossed my mind. What's that look like, you say? It looks like this, Carrie and Chris say. This is their vision statement for their marriage. We are deeply committed and intentional about creating a marriage that is fresh and new every day. We feel completely connected to each other by listening and learning how to meet each other's needs so that the last time we see each other on this earth will be more in love than ever before. And that just scratches the surface of what they're thinking about, what they're trying to do. And if you want to know more about vision statements and how they work, you go to lastsightchallenge.com and Carrie and Chris Shook will sort of take you through that process as you read along in the book, lastsightchallenge.com. Can you begin to imagine the great arguments you can have over this vision stuff? Man, you're going to have some great talks and arguments and pushback on this. You will be really communicating. Plan a time this week to work on a vision statement for one key relationship. Just one. For one key relationship. You can start working separately before you come together to hammer out a final version. I use the term hammer in the gentlest sense of the word. Oh, and as a footnote, don't forget to pay attention to holy interruptions on page 93. Here's the definition of a holy interruption. God's greater purpose disguised as an annoying interruption to my plan. And that's what God is always doing in our lives. He's showing up and he's saying, you got to pay attention to this. You got to look at this. You got to listen to me. And sometimes it's very annoying, especially when God shows up through our spouse or a good friend to tell us how we need to change. Pay attention to holy interruptions. You have to factor those into your love at last sight adventure too. Now let's pull it all together. The final big love at last sight change move for today is the art of risking awkwardness. The art of risking awkwardness. Love at first sight says that when relationships start feeling awkward, it's time to bail. That's love at first sight. Love at last sight says that when there's a problem, a silence, a routine, or something not quite right in a relationship, that's precisely the time to dig in and do the hard work of risking awkward questions or uncomfortable conversations. Every relationship breakthrough in my life has involved the art of risking awkwardness, which simply means stepping out of my comfort zone so that a relationship can go to the next level. And that is so true. That is so true. When you get there on page 121, get a highlighter and go right through that. Every relationship breakthrough in life has involved the art of risking awkwardness, 
which simply means stepping out of my comfort zone so that a relationship can go to the next level. In a way, God did this for us so we could have a fulfilling relationship with him. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The supernatural son of God stepped out of the comfort zone of his perfect home in heaven to enter our imperfect and broken world. Because he loved us, he took the risk to enter our world. He even put on a suit of human frailty and complete vulnerability so we could relate to him and he could build a bridge to us. So here's the final question to where you down and where you out this week. Which of your key relationships needs an awkward question from you this week? Which of your key relationships, which one needs an awkward question from you this week? And you write that person's name down. And then you write the question down. And then you ask the question. The Shook's right. Even the best relationships have rough edges, difficult moments, and embarrassing confessions. It takes a commitment to risk, a willingness to be uncomfortable at times, and real action if you want to see a transformation in your key relationships. This is the art of risking awkwardness. So let's pull it together. Love at last sight. Three things you need to do right now. Ask the key person in your life if you're all there. Am I all there for you? Plan a time this week to work on a vision statement for one key relationship. Which of your key relationships needs an awkward question from you this week? Write down the name, write out your question, get it done. Benjamin Franklin said, when you're finished changing, you're finished. When you're finished changing, you're finished. And he was right. A child's question asked of me, if I can't see it, can it be? I see my toy, I know it's there. I feel my arm, I touch my hair. These are things I know to be, but are there things I cannot see? What of the wind? Where does it go? Are there other things to know? Oh, yes, my dear, and soon you'll find they're locked inside the heart and mind. Sweet love's desire, a mother's prayer, more real than all we see out there, more real than sun and moon and rain. At first, much, much harder to explain. The only thing that I can say, I say it now in just this way. What is real? And what is not? Love is real. The rest is not. So how do you get there? Love at last sight will always give you the moon. Dear Heavenly Father, we long to have relationships of deep meaning and passion and hope and vision, relationships that take us into the, into the adventures that you've planned for us, the adventure of living, the adventure of, of being the church, the adventure of following Jesus Christ. So Father, help us to live out love at last sight principles that will really transform our relationships when just every day go through the motion stuff to real I see you and you see me stuff. Give us moments. 
Give us days of great and abiding joy. Help us to to live out a cord of three strands kind of life and relationships in all these things. May you continue to do a good work in us and through us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. But his smile. I met a man who had no yearn or claim to fame, who was content to let life pass him for a while. And I was sure that all I ever wanted was a life like the movie stars led. And he kissed me. truth and a future that's 20 times better than any Hollywood plot. And I thought, you know, I'd rather have a yacht. I met a man who lived his life out on the road, who left a wife and kids in Portland on a whim. I met a man whose fire and passion always showed Who asked if I could spare a week to ride with him But I was sure that all I ever wanted Was a life that was scripted and planned And he said, but you don't understand I'll give you stars and the moon and the open highway and a river beneath your feet. I'll give you days full of dreams if you travel my way and a summer you can't repeat. I'll give you nights full of passion and days of adventure, no strings, just warm summer rain. And I thought, you know, I'd rather have champagne. I met a man who had a fortune in the bank, who had retired at age 30, set for life. I met a man and didn't know which stars to thank, and then he asked one day if I would be his wife. And I looked up and all I could think of to him what will you give I'll give you cars and a townhouse in Turtle Bay and a fur and a diamond ring and we'll get married
Beijing. And you'll meet stars at the parties I throw at my villas in Nice and Paris in June. And I thought, okay. And I took a breath and I got my yacht. And the years went by and it never changed and it never grew. And I woke one day and I looked around and I thought, my God, I'll never have the moon.